Well, good morning. Well, my name is Jason Upmore, and I'm the college and singles director here at Wayside Chapel. And this is my first sermon. So, uh, okay. So I'm, pr- I'm pretty amped up. I'm pretty excited. Uh, but if it doesn't go too well, the good news is I won't be back next week, okay? Uh, so we're going to be okay. Uh, well, like I said, I have the great privilege of overseeing our college and singles. Uh, I love them to death. They keep me on my toes. They're passionate. They're influential, and they love Jesus. And uh, I get to pour into them, and, and honestly, they, they also get to pour into me. And I'm able to do it well because I've, I've got a beautiful wife named Rachel. Uh, believe it or not, we've been married eight years, okay? Um, we dated for five years. We're high school sweethearts. Graduated from Texas a University, the promised land. <laughs> Um, and we've got a beautiful 17-month-old little daughter named Avery Grace uh, who just has her daddy's heart. Um, and so just thankful to be at this church, thankful to be able to preach to you today. And so before we begin, I'd, I'd love just to, to start in prayer. So if you would, please, please bow. Well, Father God, we thank you for another time to gather. We thank you for a time to worship a time to fellowship, and a time to learn from your word. And God, I ask, if there's anything that comes out of my mouth that is not from you, then God, would you please help them to forget it? But if anything comes out of my mouth that is from you, then God, help them to remember. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, over the next couple of months, we're going to be diving into a new series over the book of Proverbs. And so I invite you to turn there now. If you've never read the Proverbs before, it's in the middle of your Bible, right past the book of Psalms. And we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6 today. Well, as we start this series, we're, we're not necessarily going to cover the entire book. But instead, a different pastor each week is going to focus on a particular theme. And so that's what we're going to do today. And that's where we're heading over the next couple of months. The word proverb comes from the Hebrew word mashal, which essentially means a comparison. And so what the writers in the Proverbs are doing is they are taking different circumstances in life, and through the use of comparison, they instruct us how life is meant to be lived. Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the great privileges of my life is to parent my daughter, Avery. And so we're currently trying to teach her how to navigate through this great big task called life. And we're still kind of in the basic things right now. Like, for instance, I'll take her outside, and we'll show her that roly-polies are fun to touch. Okay, you can hang out with them, you can talk with them. But do not put those things in your mouth, okay? Because that's just gross, and that's not what they've been designed for. I remember a few months back when... When my daughter was learning how to crawl, which those of you parents out there, you know, once the baby becomes mobile, it's a game changer. And so I'd grab her and I'd put her on the floor and I'd say, all right, Avery, just, you're going to stay within these parameters. You can play with this toy, you can play with that toy, and you can even hang with me. I'll talk to you. We'll have a good time. But you need to stay here. And so she would start playing with her toys, but then after a while... She would take her toys, she would move them to the side, and she'd start crawling towards the electrical outlet. And since I'm a good dad, I grabbed her. 
and I put her back in the middle, and I said, Ava, you can't play with those things, but you can play with these toys. And I gave her the same talk. And so she'd start playing with her toys, and she'd move them to the side, and she'd start crawling again towards the electrical outlet. And I'd grab her, and I'd say, Avery, I'm not trying to keep anything from you. I promise I'm not trying to be mean to you. Those things over there will kill you. But if you stay with me, there's life. And ultimately, that's the theme of Proverbs. That's the theme of the Bible. And that's the theme of our lives. The Proverbs is about a father pleading with his child to study wisdom and to follow the design for which they had been created for. The father cries out, walk in these ways. And there's life. There's purpose. There's peace. But if you walk in these ways, there's vanity. There's despair. And ultimately, there's death. Unfortunately, what the Bible declares is that while God has come up with this beautiful plan, it says that everybody has gone against that plan. We've all gone towards the electrical outlet. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. You are by nature children of wrath, meaning that while God has told you to go this way, in your rebellion, you've gone this way. And because of that, we're heading towards death. But praise God, he didn't leave us in that condition, but he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins despite our rebellion. And through the resurrection, Jesus offers to all who will trust in him new life. For by grace, you've been saved. And that's the theme of the gospel, and that's the theme we're, to, we're gonna continue to see throughout the book of Proverbs. So over the next couple of months, uh, we hope that as a church, We'll grow in wisdom as we study different themes and circumstances within this beautiful book. And so we're going to start today by looking in chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 6 as we look at this man called the sluggard. So let's start in verse 6. The word says this. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Now, the first thing I, I want you to notice after reading this passage is that the author is comparing the way of the ant versus the way of the sluggard. And he tells the sluggard, I want you to examine your own life. I want you to compare it to the ant. Imitate her, and you'll avoid the destructive path that you're currently on. Now, now most of us know that comparison is a two-way street. Uh, for some of us, comparison is actually something that's really hurtful. It's a tremendous struggle. Uh, in fact, it's not helpful at all. It, it brings you bitterness and anger. But at the same time, comparison can be something that's really beneficial and helpful and life-giving. Uh, in high school, I struggled greatly because I compared myself to others in a negative way. I would look at others' grades or I'd look at their athletic ability or I'd look at how popular they, they were 
and I'd compare them to myself, and I experienced the suffering that comes with that. Yet at the same time in college, I compared myself to others in a positive way, and I experienced the blessing that comes with that. The reality is, you become the person you are by who you choose to observe and follow. If you observe and follow sinful people, then you're probably going to want to chase after sin. But if you observe and follow godly people, then more than likely, you're going to want to chase after God, which is what happened to me in college. I surrounded myself with people who loved Jesus. I wanted what they had. I saw their peace. I saw their passion. I saw their purpose. And I wanted that. So I surrounded myself with these people and compared my life to them. Uh, in fact, that's why I wanted to work at this church. I love college and singles, uh, but I was going here for a couple of years, and the reason why I wanted to work here was because I felt like Roger had certain characteristics that I wanted to grow in. He went about things in a certain way that I wanted to learn. And so the primary reason I'm working here at Wayside is because I want to observe and follow the ways of men and women that I dearly respect. And so there are times when comparison and observing others can be extremely beneficial if the goal is to look more like Jesus. Therefore, as we look at these verses, what is it that the author is trying to communicate through comparison? What is it about the sluggard that makes him the way that he is? And what can we learn from observing the ant? We see at the beginning of the passage in verse 7, the ant, having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. So in a nutshell, the ant commits to the task it has been given. The ant works hard. The ant is diligent in what it does. The ant doesn't need someone to tell him to work. The ant is committed to her task. She knows what needs to be done, and she does it. The ant is committed and the ant is disciplined. And then the teacher turns to the sluggard and asks him, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? How long will you continue in your inactivity? When will you arise? When will you do what God has called you to do? Well, before transitioning into this role, I coached middle school football. Go figure, I got the voice, okay? And so one of my roles during the football game was to signal in the plays to our quarterback. And then our quarterback would get in the huddle, and he'd call the play. And so I want you to imagine, I've just signaled in the play. And so now our quarterback's there in the huddle, and he calls it. Red right, 24 power. Red right, 24 power. And before they break, someone else in the huddle says, hold on one second. I like that play. Another guy says, amen, I like it too. Another guy gets in there and he says, hey, you know something? I've memorized this play. Well, go figure, so have I. Dude, we should run this play sometime. Dude, our coach, he's so wise for thinking of this play. He's unbelievable. Man, it's a good play. I mean, those of you that know football, if they just keep going around in a circle and they keep talking about the play, eventually this guy behind with his black and white shirt on, he's got this yellow flag. He's gonna take it out and throw that thing because they've just committed a foul. Because they just talked about the play 
without ever running the play. And if they kept doing that the entire game, you better believe that the rest of the crowd is going to be screaming, run the play. And as a coach, I'm going to be yelling, please run the play. And I think at times, as Christians, we can be really good at just talking about what needs to be done. We get in our small groups. We can quote the Hebrew. We can quote the Greek. We memorize scripture. We talk about making disciples. We talk about missions. We talk about purity. And all of the heavenly hosts says, run the play. How long will you lie down? Do what God has called you to do. The sluggard, though, he knows what play to run. He knows how he's supposed to go about life, but he refuses to do what God has called him to do. We see this in Proverbs 26, 13. I'll read it for you real quick. It says, the sluggard declares in this verse, how can I be expected to go to work? There might be a lion in the road. I can't go to work. I might get eaten. So I've got to stay home. I mean, it's ridiculous the amount of excuses the sluggard will come up with in order to avoid the work God has called him to do. Even if there are no real difficulties or reasons to delay, the sluggard will imagine them so that he can avoid doing what God has called him to do. But what I want you to realize about the sluggard is there's nothing funny or comical about the way he is acting. In fact, there's something much deeper going on. There's something much more sinister going on in his mind. Evidence of this is in Proverbs 26, 16. It says this, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The sluggard is not at all convicted about the way he is living. In fact, he has no issue with it. He thinks he's wiser for doing what he's doing. The sluggard doesn't just have a laziness problem. A lot of people will look at this passage and say the sluggard is someone who's lazy. And I agree, he is lazy. But there's something much deeper going on here. He has a morality problem. His thinking is twisted. He despises commitment. He refuses to discipline himself. He abhors the thought of working hard. Something has gone horribly wrong in the way the sluggard thinks. The reason the sluggard is compared to the ant is because the sluggard is anti-commitment. He knows what must be done. He desires the fruit of hard labor, but he refuses to discipline himself in order to reap the benefits. I don't know if you've noticed, but we seem to be living in a day and age where commitment and discipline has gone out the window. Discipleship within American churches is struggling greatly because we're trying to disciple many folks who don't understand the value of hard work, discipline, and commitment. In fact, our, I'd say our culture doesn't have a commitment problem. I'd go as far to say that our culture has a, is going through a commitment epidemic. Uh, we see this everywhere. You do you, bro. If you don't like something, just quit and do something else. It's all about how you feel. Many people in our culture, we desire the fruits and rewards of commitment, but we don't want the sacrifice that comes with it. And I think the reason 
our culture is struggling so much with valuing and understanding commitment is because of the curse of instant gratification. Uh, We live in the most impatient culture of all time. We've got microwaves, fast food, text messages, emails. I mean, whatever you want, you can get it like that. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes if I send a text message to somebody, and if they don't respond in like 10 minutes, I'm like, did they get my text? Like, what's going on? Is the phone service not working? I mean, what's up here? Maybe they don't like me. I mean, that's just kind of how our mind thinks. Our culture teaches us why struggle, why sacrifice, why wait when you can have it now. And the result of this type of mentality is catastrophic. We see this in verse 11. The teacher warns the sluggard, if you continue to live the way that you're living, then your life is going to come to ruins. I was reading an article a couple months ago titled, Why Millennials Are Lonely. And in the article, it states that the number of Americans with no close friends has tripled since 1985. Tripled. We live in one of the loneliest cultures of all time. We love to express ourselves but we don't like to engage. Uh, I did some quick research of some key inventions in in the 1980s that I thought was interesting. And here are a couple. In the mid-80s, the first Mac computer arrived. Windows 1.0 was released. And the first mobile phone was announced by Nokia, as well as the famous original Nintendo. Now, obviously, I don't think these things are evil. I have a Mac computer, I use a cell phone, and I used to be really good at video games. But I do think we need to be aware that if we're not careful with these things, they will consume our lives and lead us down a path that will ultimately never satisfy. What I want you to notice in this passage is that the sluggard isn't someone who just makes one rash decision. He doesn't ruin his life overnight. But instead, through a series of consistent, small surrenders, does he go down towards the path of destruction? Proverbs 6.10 says this, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I want you to notice the words, little, little, little. Minute after small minute The sluggard wastes precious opportunity. He deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. And I think one of the great struggles we need to be aware of in our society is that we can easily be distracted for minutes and hours and months and years of our life, wasting precious opportunity to engage with our God and to engage with the people all around us. John Piper, old pipe dog, says this. We grab our phones like we grab for junk food to feed on the candy of our own egotism and to feed on novelty and on entertainment. We also impulsively reach for our phones to escape, to avoid the boredoms of life, the responsibilities of life, and the hardships of life. I think one of the things we're seeing in our societies, we're watching a group of people rise up that are struggling deeply with their sense of purpose. They're struggling deeply with their sense of identity. And instead of turning to God, 
we turn to vanity and we consume and consume and consume. In Proverbs 21, 25 through 26, it says this, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. All day long, he craves and craves and craves. Uh, I've noticed in my own life, uh, when I get home from work, at times I'm, I'm just really tired or maybe I'm just anxious about something. And instead of talking with my God and sitting with him or instead of playing with my daughter or hanging out with my wife and loving her, I'll just get on my computer and I'll just turn to website after website. It doesn't even matter what I'm looking at. It can be the news. It can be sports. It can be Netflix. It can be movies. It doesn't matter. I'll just keep turning to it over and over again, hoping that it will satisfy, hoping that I'll forget about the responsibilities that God has called me to partake in. And at times, I sense God whispering, Jason, open your eyes. Turn to me. Do the work that you've been called to do. Now, I realize that the things I mentioned are not necessarily evil. We need rest. Some of you are here and you are tired. You need rest. But the problem occurs when you turn to these things before or instead of turning to your God. Um, I don't know about you, but there seems to be a constant struggle in my soul. I deeply desire, I want to follow after Jesus. I want to walk in his ways. But there's a part of me that also wants to take the path of least resistance. I want an easy life. I don't want to have to work hard. I don't want to have to sacrifice. And so there's this great struggle in my soul. But Jesus declares, he says, if anyone wants to follow me, then he must take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. There's nothing easy about that calling in fact, when Jesus was on his way to being crucified, he asked the Father, he said, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. But then his famous words, but not my will, but yours. And we see Jesus commits to the task the Father gives him, and his obedience is inspiring, it's beautiful, and it's why we praise him. And we're called to imitate that. Chuck Swindoll, the famous pastor and theologian, says this, show me a godly man, and I'll show you a disciplined man behind the scenes. You don't just wake up one day and magically become more like Christ, okay? I mean, you're not just going to wake up and be like, I don't struggle anymore. I'm good. I don't struggle with purity. I naturally just want to do good to everybody. It doesn't work like that. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, you're like me. And you're hoping that one day you'll wake up and everything will just click. And you'll no longer struggle with sin. And you'll just naturally want to do what God wants you to do. Without having to put any work, without having to discipline yourselves, and without having to trust God. We're all guilty of that, I think, at times. And obviously, don't take me the wrong way, uh, apart from divine grace, we can do nothing. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, period. That's it. We don't add on to anything. We can't earn our salvation. I can't earn my way to God by how well I work. 
or by how much scripture I memorize. But by the grace of God, we embrace discipline, hard work, and perseverance and diligence in order to do the things that God has called us to do in order to reflect his glory and become more like Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. But don't forget verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. In eternity past, church, God ordained the work that he wanted each of you to do. And by working, you would shine as God's workmanship. It's through hard work and discipline that we proclaim the beauty of God's grace to a lost world. Uh, I think many of us forget that while Jesus was a great preacher and he performed many miracles, uh, for most of his adult life, he was a carpenter. I love J.R. Vassar, a pastor in Grapevine, Texas, and he says this about Jesus. He says, do you think Jesus ever made bad tables? Do you think he ever just decided, you know, I'm just going to leave that fourth leg off the table? I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to cut a corner here. Of course not. We know the answer. Jesus didn't honor God by carving John 3.16 in every table that he built. He honored God by building good tables. That was his task. That's what God had given him. So he did it for God's glory. And as followers of Christ, we're called to do the same. We don't slack off when our boss isn't looking. We don't cut corners. We don't gripe. We do what God has given us, and we do it with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, because that's what he has called us to do. 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says this, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Whether you're a mom, a student, a husband, a teacher, a pastor, a doctor, or a carpenter, your work has great purpose. Don't lose sight of that. Now, I think there's a lot of people here who work hard on the job. From eight to five, you've got passion, there's diligence, and you bring God much glory. But unfortunately, that same energy is not present at home. You leave work and you're done. You cast in and you check out and your family gets whatever energy is left over. Um, I'm tempted to be like that. Don't be. Keep going. Press in. Love your family with the same amount of vigor and fire that you display from eight to five. Um, I love Matt Chandler. He says you should go to bed worn out. Worn out because you've given God your all. You laid it all out there. Uh, one of my favorite things to do when I was a basketball coach was to condition my kids. We ran them every single day. And one reason I loved conditioning them is because some of them were punks in the classroom. Okay, so this was payback time because now I got the whistle. And so I'd get them on the line and I'd start blowing that whistle. And they'd get up there and they'd run. And they'd get through it and I'd say, get on the line again. And they'd run. And I'd say, get on the line again. 
And they'd run, and I'd do it over and over and over again. And some of those kids said, hey, this ain't fun, coach. I don't like this. This is hard. I just want to shoot hoops. And they quit. They weren't a part of our team anymore. Because their culture has taught them, you don't have to work for anything. You get whatever you want. Whatever you feel, it's right. But then there are other kids when I'd say get back on the line, they'd get back up there. And everything in their body was screaming, don't do it again. <laughs> don't do it again. You're too tired, man. Your lungs, your body, just take, take a break. But they'd get back up there, and they'd run again, and they'd run again, and they'd run again. Despite how they felt, they'd keep running. And you would notice something to begin to change in them. They'd start encouraging one another. They'd say, hey, we can do this. We can do this. Keep going. Keep going. Some of them had this look in their eye because they wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They wanted to be men that others could look up to. They wanted to truly live. You become the person you are by what you choose to do again. Regardless of how you feel, you do it anyways because that's who you are. Are. If you want to imitate Christ, this is what he's been teaching me, I'm preaching to myself here, then wake up every day and do the little things he's called you to do. Read his word, spend time in prayer, work hard in the spheres God has put you, and do it with everything you have, despite how you feel. Now, I don't know if you've ever kicked an ant pile before which I'm not recommending everyone to do that when you go home, okay? But it's not just one of those guys that comes out. When you kick an ant pile, a whole army of them come spilling out. And I think for some of you, the reason you're struggling so hard in, in the role that God has given you is because you don't have a team of people around you. You're trying to go about what you're doing all by yourself, um, and you're trying to do it all alone. And you're struggling. I can't tell you how much I appreciate Michael Laddermilk. He's constantly encouraging me. Now, he probably feels like he has to because I took his spot as the college and singles director. Um, it might be in his job title. Okay, but, but regardless, he does it and he does it often. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can be encouraged a thousand times in one week. And all it takes is that one pestering lie that'll keep me down. Our, our souls are constantly being attacked. Therefore, as the body of Christ, we need to constantly be encouraging one another. You need community. You're made for it. I'm not talking about the community where you just put on a face and you act like everything's okay. I'm talking about genuine heartfelt, vulnerable community. You need that. You can't do what God's called you to do without it. And then for some of you, you're discouraged because you've tried this whole Christian thing before. You've tried to seek after him. You've tried to have quiet time. You've tried to be sexually pure. You've tried to be diligent in your work, but you just keep failing. You take one step forward, and then it feels like you take five steps back. And you just feel like God is up there, 
in heaven. And he's just looking down on you, shaking his head, saying, when will my child ever figure it out? Uh, my daughter, a few weeks back, she was trying to get up on the couch, which is a big moment <laughs> at the Upmore household. She was trying to get up on the couch. And so she, she pulled herself up and then she fell, right? Fell on the ground, just starts crying. And she says, dad, 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 dad. And she points to the couch. She wanted me to put her up there. And I said, no, girl, you try again. Try again. And so she'd pull herself up and she'd fall on the ground again and she'd scream and cry, dad, 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 help me. And she'd point to the couch. And I'd say, no, Avery, you can do this. You can do this. Try again. And at this point, Rachel's in the room and we're both like cheerleaders encouraging her to get up on that couch. And so she pulls herself up and finally... She gets over that ledge and she's on. And you would have thought that the Upmores had just won the lottery. Like we're high-fiving, we're celebrating, we're screaming. We can't believe it. Our daughter has just pulled herself up on the couch. <laughs> and I didn't go up to her afterwards and ask her, hey, why didn't you listen to my advice the first time? Why did it take you five times to get up? and then shake my head and walk off. No, I didn't care how many times she fell. I was ecstatic that she got back up. Scripture tells us when one person repents, one person, it says that all of heaven breaks out in song and dance and celebration because one person has done what God has called them to do in this great rejoicing and celebration. Our God is not a God who looks down on you and shakes his head. He's not a God of disappointment. He's a good father. He loves you. So church, I just want to encourage you to go forward. Don't be like the sluggard. Your work has great purpose. Don't grow weary in doing what God has called you to do. Our great Savior says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light and I'm with you wherever you go. So do not lose heart. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that when it goes out, it never comes back void. It accomplishes the purpose that it was meant to accomplish. And I don't know who's out there, maybe everybody, <laughs> that's just struggling with diligence and understanding their purpose. Father, would you draw near to them? Would your spirit rest upon them and encourage them in who they are? And if there's anyone here that's been rebelling their whole life, refusing to accept the grace that Christ offers of. Then, Father, would you please speak to them? Show them that you love. You love them and you care for them. God, help us to be men and women who work hard, who do whatever you've called us to do with everything we have, and we can do so because we know that your grace is sufficient and your power is perfected in weakness. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you.
Appreciate it. I'm sweating now. So uh, well, if you would, we're gonna, we have some people up front that are praying. And if you need prayer, uh, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, but other than that, we hope you have a great day.